the gospel continues to affect our life, right? As this says in this passage, it's got to continue. We've got to not move away from that hope. We've got to hold on. The gospel is continually working on our life. It's not just the time we study the Bible or our first couple of years as a Christian, but the gospel is supposed to be continually awe-inspiring. I'll give you an example of this in the form of roller coaster gospel. Alright, before we went to Disney World, I wanted to help my son, Jack, who's sick. Well, he's not sick, he's six. Maybe a Freudian slip, I don't think so, but he is six. And uh, I was like, buddy, you're now tall enough, we've been measuring him and tracking his height. You are ready to ride one of the roller coasters at Disney World. And he said, I don't want to. I'm Shows it in even the most mundane of moments. It shows that we treasure the 
gospel. And let's check out John chapter 4 today. It's going to be our main text as we talk about treasuring the gospel. John chapter 4 is famous as the story of the woman uh, at the well. The woman at the well. And uh, we're going to read about this today. I just have two points. And the first point is the gospel connects. The gospel connects. John chapter 4. Start in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, bless you, and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given, had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. I love these moments in John, by the way, where you just see the human side of Jesus. He was tired, so he sat down by a well. I can relate to that. <laughs> Maybe not the well part, but being tired, he just wanted to sit down. Um, he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, You have nothing to draw, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And I don't have to keep coming down here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right say you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And he drops the mic. You know, I, I, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. This interaction, we could spend hours. So let's get started. No, we won't spend hours on this. There's so much in here. But what I want to point out is, is the gospel message, we see it in this intimate connection between Jesus and this woman. Now, there's, there's different scholarly ideas about this woman. Right? The fact that she has had five husbands, uh, we don't know if that's because of, of divorce or having to do with her husband's dying. But the point, it's 
made right here is that she's with a woman having basically physical intimacy with, not with a woman, she's with a man having physical intimacy, and she's not married. And that would be, that's, that's not okay in God's eyes today, it definitely wasn't okay in God's eyes then. And so she probably has this shame wrapped around her, especially having multiple husbands at this point in time. And so she has this shame about her uh, that she's experiencing probably internally towards herself, but also from the community. And some scholars say that the reason she's going out at 12 to collect water is, is that's the time, that's not the time to go collect water. That's not the hottest part of the day, right? If you would go out early in the morning, all the women would go out together. But in this case scenario, probably the other women don't want her around, or she doesn't want to be around the other women. So she's alone. In the afternoon, the heat of the day, the time where no, she won't have to interact with anyone else. So she's feeling shame from the community, probably shame about her own life, and then she runs into Jesus. Alienated from God in her own life. As we talked about in Washington, right? She runs into Jesus, and Jesus says, can I have a drink? Now that may seem insignificant, but at this point, there's no cups, right? There's only one water vessel, one water jug, and it's BYOJ. You bring your own water jug to the, to the well, right? And so you bring your own, your own bucket. And uh, so she would have brought it with her. So he says, can I have a drink? And you see a picture of a well, and there's an automatic bucket. Wait a minute, bring your own bucket. And so she brings this, and he goes, can I have a drink? Which means, can I have a sip out of your, your jug, your, your bucket? Can I have something? Which means, can, even though you're an unclean Samaritan, I didn't cover this, but the Jews and Samaritans did not get along. It wasn't a minor dispute. It wasn't like... Cowboys were Steelers or something like that. This was like, no way, uh, the dirty rotten Samaritans keep them far, far away. In fact, most people wouldn't have even traveled through Samaria. They would have gone the long way and gone around. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go. We're going to go the straight route and we're going to go through Samaria. I'm trying to cover all those hours in the like <laughs> two minutes here. But um, anyway, so Jesus says, I want to sip from the water and I'm willing to share the bucket. Again, if this woman has had multiple partners in her life, is seen as unclean, is seen as someone who has a shameful lifestyle, it's a big deal that Jesus says, can, can we share the same cup? And Jesus does that deliberately. I mean, you know that Jesus can get water from a rock, he can do whatever he wanted to eat. I don't think, I'm sure he's actually thirsty, but he could have found a different way to get water, because he is greater than Jacob, as she applies there. But he goes, can I share with you? And she's so thrown off, she's like, whoa, you don't even have a bucket, what are you talking about? Because it's so foreign to her that Jesus would want to connect with her. That's what the gospel does. It takes God, who's perfect and holy and righteous, and he, he comes into our life, into all of our junk, all of our mess, and says, I want to be close to you. Yes. We love because he first loved us. He made the first move. He says, I want to be close to you. The gospel connects us. And it's a powerful moment. On top of this, by the way, Jesus doesn't shy away from the truth. He, he definitely covers what's wrong in this woman's life as well. He doesn't glaze over it. And I think it's important to note that Jesus is able to address what's wrong in her life and what's not in alignment with God's will and able to show her compassion. Sometimes we put an or there. I can either show compassion towards this person or I can speak the truth to them. And Jesus says, no, both. Why would you ever separate those? But we do that sometimes, right? And we can do that on both sides Sometimes we can say, okay, I want to water down the truth of the gospel so that it can be more acceptable to more people. And that sounds good, but we're sanitizing the truth. 
And we're taking away the, the message of Jesus. And it's not the gospel anymore. It's an Americanized, nice version of something that is far from God. We've made God in our image instead of recognizing we're in the image of God. A dangerous step. But on the flip side, we can say, we got to hold on to the truth. And we lead with the truth. And that's all we say. We don't have this intimate moment of, hey, let me share a cup with you. Let me have you over. Come sit at my table. Come interact with me. I want to love you. I want to connect with you. I know this truth about you, but that doesn't change my love for you. You've got to have both. Jesus is full of grace and full of truth, as John chapter 1, 14 says. We cannot dilute the truth, but we cannot live full grace if we're going to be followers of Jesus. Then he steps in and gives her the ultimate gospel. He says, I want to give you living water. I know who you are. And I want to give you the gift of salvation. And how can I do that? Because I'm Messiah. I'm Christ. I'm the one you've been waiting for. He says, I'm, I'm here to offer you this. And this woman gets to receive something powerful. I think oftentimes there's a, a phrase that we, we can all fear the idea of being loved and not known. Right? The idea of someone loving me, like, but if you really knew me, yeah. I don't think you'd love me. And the flip side happens. To be known and then not loved. Right? If someone really knows me, they're not going to love me. That can be our fear. God shows us, and he shows this woman here, I, I know you, and I love you. And that's the gospel, that we're known, fully known by God, and still loved, still deemed worthy as dying on the cross. God loves us. That is a great Messiah, right? That's a great Savior. I'm all for that, right? I want me some of this Jesus right here. I need this gospel in my life. This is the connection that the gospel brings. God connecting with man. The word religion, a lot of people have an issue with religion. I say this all the time. But the, the Latin origins of the word religion are religion to bring man and God back together again, to join them again together, to bring reconciliation. That's what religion, that's what our Christianity is meant to do, to connect man and God. That's what God did on the cross. And by the way, when we experience this connection, it affects us. Let's read a little bit more in this passage to see how this woman was affected by this connection in the gospel. So John chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse, uh, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Can someone have brought him food? There's always these, these humorous moments in the Bible. Like, They're just not getting it, right? Can someone have brought him food? Uh, verse 34, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. 
they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And this is so cool. Her testimony, by the way, is a strange one. She just goes around town saying, this is the Messiah who told me everything I ever did. And, but that would have been effective if she had the reputation that most scholars say she would have had in the community. Because they're like, wow, he knows everything you did and he's still sharing the gospel with you? This might actually be the Messiah we've been waiting for. We've got to go see it for ourselves. Her testimony isn't, man, everything's way better in my life. It's, man, I'm fully known and fully loved. This gospel message rocks. Come check it out. Right? That, that's her message that she brings. And uh, when we've been changed by the gospel, when, when we love something, when we treasure something, it then changes our outlook in, in every situation of our lives. So the second point is this. The gospel consumes. First, it's the gospel connects. That's what the gospel does. The second idea is that when we get to know the gospel, it begins to consume our life. Check out this town that this woman is a part of. They are hungry for something like the Messiah, hungry for, for a message, hungry for something. Because as soon as the woman goes around, the whole town comes out to hear Jesus' message. And this town of Samaritans, which at this point in, in the gospel message, we had not seen Samaritans start to follow Jesus. And so at this point, all these Samaritans start saying, wow, I, I think this really is the Messiah. And they start to believe. This would be like a whole town turning to God. This is like a Nineveh situation back in the days of Jonah. This is a big deal. And it's really, really cool. But here's an interesting thought. The disciples were just in that town getting food. And who did they bring out with them to hear the message of Jesus? Nope, nobody. They were in the same town. So it wasn't like, okay, this town is not open. It's not ready to hear the gospel. This town is messed up Samaritan. they got to stay away. They don't want to hear about Jesus. No, they wanted to hear about Jesus. But the disciples were focused on something different. I would even mention to say the disciples in this moment were not treasuring the gospel. They were not consumed by the gospel like this woman was. Because this woman, once she's consumed with the truth about Jesus... It's a message she cannot continue. She's got to go and share it. I was going to say the gospel is contagious, but I thought, given uh, our, our family situation, I probably shouldn't have talked about contagion and contagious. But it consumes us. This, this, and maybe the question is why? Oh, even Jesus comments on this, right? He says, you know, he says, uh, you reap where you have not sown. He goes, the fields are ripe for the harvest. You're saying let's wait four months till the harvest, because that was a phrase they had. He goes, no, the time is now. And you guys kind of missed it. And so you're going to get to reap where this woman has sown. Because here's all these people coming out to hear the gospel. And so Jesus even calls them on it a little bit. He's like, you kind of missed a moment here. And you're focused on the wrong stuff. But we don't know what they were focused on. They could have been simply been, hey, we're here to give Jesus some food. That's not bad motivation. But I think there's some other possible motivations they could have had. Or I would have had in their shoes. They could have just been hungry. Right? Sometimes our focus can be, I need to get my needs met. And we say, I need to get my needs met before I can help anyone else. And we're focused, the church is supposed to be here to meet my needs to feed me. I need to get my needs met. I need to take care of me. I need to make sure my life is okay, that I have the time, that I have everything I need. Then I can maybe think about helping somebody else. Because just be focused on, I gotta get my, my needs met. I gotta get food. I'm hungry. I relate to that. They could have been racist or hateful towards the Samaritans. Hey, we're going in here. These guys don't deserve this message, right? They're, they're traitors. They're evil. Keep them at arm's length, whatever. 
they don't deserve this message. This is for us Jews only. They could have thought, you know what? Yeah, we could share with these Samaritans, but they're not going to get it. Why bother? This is, this is going to go over their heads, or maybe they'll never change anyway. It's not even worth I can think of situations in our society where I can feel that way. Why would, this is a little too challenging of a situation. I'm just going to zip my lips and not even try to offer the gospel to someone. They could just be tired or compartmentalized, right? We did our time of evangelism and working the field and doing all this stuff, and now's our off time, right? I was really convicted at the conference and how many people were sharing their faith. They didn't live in Florida, but they were there in Orlando just, hey, we're sharing with the waiter here and hearing stories of people that, that were looking for a church that met for those 14,000 14, disciples down in Orlando. So people were sharing their faith left and right. I was like, this is not my city. I don't live in Florida. You know, I, I'm trying to help Pittsburgh grow. I kind of showed my selfishness, right? You know, I was kind of off the clock in terms of sharing the gospel while I was in Florida. I'm missing something, right? We should always be on the clock for sharing the gospel. But I can see these guys compartmentalizing. Or maybe they just had been following Jesus too long and the novelty had worn off. Hey, this was really nice when he called me initially. It, was, it changed my life. But that was, that was a few weeks ago. That was a year ago, a few months ago. And they were only with Jesus for two years. But that was, that was, that's old news. It no longer has an impact in my life. I experienced this a little bit when I wrote Space Mountain. And uh, in about 10 years, and I was like, whoa, I need some Advil. <laughs> it's a pretty tame ride. I was like, man, I'm getting too old. You know, I, can't, I can't handle the roller coasters anymore. I think it was just because originally I was holding his shoulders the whole time, Jack's shoulders in front of me. Anyway, I don't need to get all But sometimes that happens, right? The, the novelty wears off. The gospel message loses its impact. They could have been bitter that, why do we have to go get this guy? Right? Why isn't he coming? Right? Why isn't he coming? He should come into the city. Can he make some food? Remember that miracle he did where he provided you know, 5,000 meals for all these people? Why do we have to go into this guy? He could have been bitter or simply selfish. I don't know what it was, but I know that I, in this story, probably relate more to the disciples than I do to the one that's at. That I, I can say, okay, the gospel's great, but I'm not taking it everywhere I go. I'm not treasuring the music. I want to change. I want us to change as a church to treasure the gospel. As Jesus says here, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. Church, we've got to open our eyes to see the value of the gospel message and we need to share it. Open your eyes. Suicide suicide rates have gone up 30% in the last 20 years. Spousal abuse since the pandemic has been on the increase. And the fastest growing religion in America is none. People are dying and going to hell. We have the solution. We have the good news. We have the answer. We have the gospel message. You are fully known and fully loved. <laughs> this passage isn't calling us to simply go out and share our faith more. So I'll say, okay, everyone grab some invites. Let's go. We're going to do Amen. If you want to do that, do that. We're going to have a time of doing that this, this fall, and that's important. This is about treasuring the gospel so that it consumes us, so that is our natural response to share our faith everywhere we go to share the gospel. When we treasure it, it's an outpouring of our life. It's about being in awe of God and His heart for us and letting that consume us. Again, I've been having a hard time at this. It's so easy for me to be distracted by the problems. I don't think my eyes are closed. I think they're just on other things. Does that make sense? I just get distracted. And that can just be as, as 
um, simple as TV and all the media I can be sucked into. It can also be just all the negative things. You know, I can, I can fall into Facebook and see, if you're on Facebook, you can see negative stuff about church, about God, about devotion, all throughout Facebook and Instagram and things like that. There's so much negativity, except for, you know, someone who's like, like this post and share it if you love Jesus and if like, you don't. Or something like that, right? That's like the only like kind of semi-positive, questionable thing on Facebook at time. And I get sucked into all this negativity. And my eyes were open when I went down to the conference, and I want to share with you a little bit about that. When I was at the conference, I was reminded that people love God, yeah. and and I just needed to be reminded that man, our, our church, our family of churches here, we have something really special. Yeah. We've in, in the last you know 40 years, I've planted churches all over the world. We didn't say let's build up one mega church in Boston. We said let's take it everywhere we can. That's a big deal. That's rare in the, the frame of Christianity. And for me personally, I, 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 I wasn't valuing that reality at all that God has done. Uh, I missed it. And, and I was just reminded that people want to follow Jesus. Uh, again, all I see online is all these negative things about God and church. And I was like, I need to shut that down and open my eyes to the things that God is doing. And I got to hear good news from around the world. I got to sit down with Shane McDowell. Uh, I don't know if you remember Shane, but Shane was uh, an intern here back in 2010, a long time ago back when, when I was an intern here visiting uh, yeah, 12 years ago. And he interned with our church here. And now he's over in Stockholm, uh, Sweden, leading the church with his wife and his little baby. I'm like, man, that's one, that's just inspiring to see. But also, that's someone who has got some training here in Pittsburgh. And our, our church here, having global impact, and I want to share that with you. That's a big deal. That's special. I got to hear some good news from uh, the churches over in Indonesia, that uh, if you think we were kind of hit hard by the pandemic, our churches in Southeast Asia were hit even harder, having to be isolated for much longer, dealing with uh, uh, challenges in the healthcare system, but they saw more baptisms during the pandemic than the year before. They saw God move in incredible and I'm saying that just to point out that, man, our God is big. Our God is doing great things. Right? We just need to be reminded of that. Right? I got to, to hear a lesson from someone who was helping with the, the teens in Ukraine. Wow. And he talked about how great the war has been to impact some of the teens. Because there are these, these teens who have kind of gone through life and been like, okay, well, I don't really need the gospel. I don't really need Christianity in my life. And then they're faced with a sense of mortality a sense of finality in life, and these teens that have kind of, they call it the holdout teens, that are like, no, I don't need to study the Bible, that's not for me, but a sense of, man, I'm faced with the reality that I could die. And this is tragic moment, but the, the good news was that God was using these things to bring out redemption and to bring out a greater appreciation for the gospel message. And he showed all these pictures of teens being baptized in war-torn Ukraine. It was inspiring. Then I was convicted. I got to talk to a friend of mine in Felix who leads the church in uh, Papua New Guinea. And uh, we were talking. I said, Felix, give it to me straight. If you can say anything to the American church leaders that are here, unfiltered, you can just give it to us straight, what would you say? Just give it to me, right? And he goes, you are way too focused on your rights. Way too focused on your rights. I see it from afar. His wife is American, so he's got some connections here. But I see it. Focus on protecting my right to do this, my right to do that, my right to do this. 
He says, that's in your churches, and as church leaders, you're falling victim to the same mentality. I gotta help people protect their rights instead of recognizing that we lay everything at the foot of the cross. I was convicted. I was like, okay, maybe filter it next time. <laughs> but I, I needed that. I needed to be reminded that what we're dealing with, our God is not an American God. He's a worldwide God doing things all over the world, and the things that can distract us and get us hyper focused on all the wrong stuff, we gotta get that out and open our eyes to see the gospel message and treasure the gospel message together. When we do that, when we recognize who God is, when we recognize that He wants to connect with me, that He knows me and cares for me, this changes the mundane moments in our life. Like a food run. You know, these guys are essentially in a Palestinian Uber Eats, right? They're going and getting food for Jesus, right? It's just a little food run. They could have this moment of sharing the gospel and even the most mundane moments. And for us, if we allow the gospel be something that we treasure. Our mundane moments have greater and greater impact. I have a challenge for us today. The first is just reclaim some of that awe of the gospel message. Whatever that takes. Getting in your Bible, talking to someone, praying more, fasting more. I appreciate that, that point today. But uh, the other one is to miraculize the mundane. And yes, that is a word I looked it up. <laughs> to miraculize the mundane. So you're like, I still don't think it's a word. It is a word. But uh, basically, pick something that you do on a regular basis that's mundane. It could be, for me, I'm going to go, when I go to Panera, I go to Panera a lot. I have my frequent Panera stops. But that's something mundane that I do. So pick something. It could be, hey, when I brush my teeth, you know, there's a research towards habit stacking. So you're going to stack something miraculous with something that's mundane. So pick something in your schedule that's mundane and choose to do something that will reflect your love of the gospel within that Monday. That could be sharing your faith. It could just be sending a text to somebody else saying, hey, how are you? Sending an encouragement. It could be taking time to pray in that moment. It could be asking someone else, hey, do you have any prayer requests? It could be serving someone. It could be simply pulling out your phone or your Bible and reading the scripture. But miraculize the Monday. Pick one Monday thing that you do this week, maybe in the next two weeks, and say, how can I bring God's power into this mundane thing. So for me, that's what I'm going to try to do when I go to Panera. Every time I'm at Panera, I want to see God's miraculous hand at work to some extent, right? What can I do? How can I treasure the gospel everywhere? So that's our challenge, to miraculize the mundane. I just have to say that word one more time to really let it sink in. <laughs> miraculize the moment. The gospel is powerful. Church, it is good is still good news to you. God is seeking connection with you. Let this message consume you. Let the gospel permeate through our ordinary moments in our life. And church, let us together treasure the gospel.